everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we've got quite the episode for you today. Uh, your man has gone and done some research on as many of the Oscar-nominated films as he could. Uh, the journey has not yet ended. This is a journey, not a destination. But I have put quite a bit of time into finding where we can watch uh, some of these Oscar-nominated shorts, the animateds, the documentaries, um, pieces like that. So uh, excited to talk about that, but also wanted to give you a little bit of preview of uh, what's coming up next week. Uh, for those of you who are fans of film, uh, obviously there's movies coming out each and every week, but next week is Ant-Man. Um, so hopefully everyone has secured their tickets for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Uh, I know I have, going to see it on Thursday. We will definitely have an episode out, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, but uh, I'm going to try to get another episode out to next week uh, where I'm going to, uh, I'm planning to read, there's a Kang uh, comic book series that uh, I have not read yet. I've been waiting to read it in preparation for this film. And so um, maybe do like a little bit of a pre-conversation before the movie comes out. Uh, the movie has already come out on the red carpet. So for those of you who are trying to avoid spoilers, here is what I've heard so far about the film. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil the movie. But the overall uh, reactions to this movie have been pretty positive. Uh, but in the same sense, have been a little bit middling, which is a, a word I don't get to use very often. And I'm glad I can now. Uh, some people very positive about the movie. Other people saying it may have been a little too much, maybe a little weird. Uh, someone described it. A lot of people actually have described it as kind of a Star Wars-y, uh, which I still don't understand what that means. Uh, and I'm sure, hey, we'll find out maybe on Thursday. Uh, but the overall consensus is that Jonathan Majors absolutely kills it as Kang. And then the other big thing that I'm hearing as well, for those of you who were in the camp of... Uh, not thoroughly maybe understanding what phase four was all about that this movie is going to provide quite a bit of direction going forward which is super exciting uh, because a lot of the movies that have been coming out are all self-contained films that uh, uh, didn't really tease what's coming up and again i know a lot of us love those easter eggs and uh, you know we had a whole episode dedicated to that to patience to not being so stressed about the future uh, but it sounds like in a week's time we will have a much clearer vision of what that is uh which is super exciting so all around i'm excited to see it honestly i like that not everyone is liking this movie because uh how many times have we gone into a film with incredibly high hype and are disappointed when we come out of it i can think of one example which is thor love and thunder uh that was a big one that I'm really looking forward to because of natalie portman and that movie didn't uh didn't do as well as i thought it was going to uh, in hindsight. So we'll, we'll see. I'm going to have a lower expectations. I'm very excited. And I've also fully confirmed that the Dolby Theater, uh, where I go see my movies, has fixed the squeaking sound in the theater. Uh, so a huge shout out to the staff for doing so. I'm also honored that they thought that I was the one that called them to complain. Uh, I did not. Uh, I'm well. Not to say I'm not that kind of person. I definitely was planning to do that. I was actually going to drive to the theater and tell them because seriously, I had been in like at least four or five movies where there's this little going the entire time. Can you imagine having that squeaking sound during Wakanda Forever? Because I lived it. I had to sit through the beautiful Chadwick uh, intro that's completely silent. 
uh, as the Marvel fanfare comes along and you're just hearing, oh man. Um, but it was funny because, and I think I mentioned it on our prior episode, <laughs> my wife called them and said, oh yeah, your husband already called us. Uh, and we, <laughs> I was like, I've not called them. Uh, but I'm glad to hear that there are fellow fans out there who also noticed this sound because I'm sitting there in the theater and there's other people just watching the movie. And I'm like, you're, you're hearing this too, right? I'm not crazy. Uh, but I did. I went, and this is part of what this conversation is today. I went and saw The Whale uh, and made a pit stop in the Dolby Theater uh, and listened during some of the silence and uh, there was no sound, so that makes me even more hyped. That's honestly my biggest hype because I don't know about you guys, but there are certain things when I'm in a movie, whether it's somebody talking, a squeaky uh, thing, I don't even know what it was, just like an AC or something like that. Um, you know, people on their phone, I just get, I get agitated really fast, and I think we've talked about that too in the past. Um, Colorado has not been a great place to go to the movies. Uh, in terms of the shootings that have taken place over the years, so I just get I get very tense sometimes when I'm in the movies, and so something like that, a squeaky sound, takes me completely out of the film the whole time, or in this case, anytime it's really quiet, which is the most important parts of the movie. Um, so very excited for that. But uh, today we are going to be talking about all of the different uh, Oscar. Uh, nominated films, shorts that uh, I've watched recently, give you quick little reviews on all of these so you can decide whether you want to check these movies out too. I will uh, notate, and I do have a list, you know me and my lists, uh, I have not seen every single thing yet from the list. Uh, I'm still working on it, obviously, we've got plenty of time. The Oscars premieres, I believe it's March 12th, uh, I'm going to double check on that for all of you. Uh, but it's on Sunday. That'll be 6 p.m. Mountain Time. And, uh, yep, March 12th, uh, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, so that's 8 p.m. And this is the funny thing, too. Look, you can you can say what you want about the Oscars, and you're probably going to be right if you're not a fan of them. Uh, but to me, and in my head, again, we talked on another episode about this. I don't understand why Disney uh, isn't just putting this on Disney+. Plus. But at the same time, um, for those astute listeners out there, go take a look at a calendar and tell me what it says on March 12th, because all of my calendars say that that's when Daylight Savings Time begins. So not only are we going to be losing an hour that day, but we have to wait until 6 p.m., which really is uh, 5 p.m., I think, at that point. So I guess not terrible, but I just, that Sunday of Daylight Savings Time, I don't want any business with. Like, that's my hibernation day. I don't want to bother with it because... I am at my most cranky on Daylight Savings Day because you know me, I love time, and uh, having to lose an hour is always frustrating, even though <laughs> technically, uh, don't even get me started on that conversation. So let's let's dive in, okay? I'm going to go, we'll go with films first, uh, and then uh, we'll talk about some of these shorts. So the first film, uh, these are a couple that I was catching up on in the best animated film category. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. This movie is on Netflix, and if I could give the world's shortest review, just go watch it on Netflix. This movie was great. It, I had so much fun watching it. It is all stop-motion animation. Uh, for those of you that know, I'm a huge fan of that. I love Coraline is one of my favorite movies, uh, and some of the others too, Kubo and the Two Strings. I love that one as well. This movie goes right up in that pile. Um, I, I not, didn't like it as much. There's some pieces of it that were a little eh, but overall, uh, I'd be happy to watch this movie again. And I've you know thought about it a lot since watching it because uh, the the uh, 
just the character of Pinocchio in this movie, and I think the storytelling of the film is much more reminiscent of the actual story of Pinocchio versus the story that Disney has made in the animated movie and then the also the live-action movie that also came out this year and was also nominated for an award, though, for a different category, uh, the Razzies. Uh, I'm glad I haven't watched it because this, like I said, I don't even think I need to watch another Pinocchio movie. Pinocchio is actually one of my least favorite Disney movies, and the reason for that is because when I was a child, I watched this movie, and it terrified me. This movie scared the living daylights out of me. Uh, I, I remember, I think I watched it probably once, I tried never to watch it again because when Pinocchio uh, gets manipulated by the circus... And uh, it's like the big bad wolf guy. I, I barely, like, I have not seen the cartoon in the longest time. And uh, I just, I was scared of that. I Like, as a kid, I, and I'm sure no surprises here, like, I was a, I was a very good kid. <laughs> I was very, I tried to be as well-behaved as possible, all of that stuff. And so to see this boy who just wanted to be a little kid, but then he's getting manipulated by all of these outside forces, like a puppet on strings, uh, just really scared the living daylights out of me. And Geppetto, it always made me sad because he was an old guy. And I was like, oh, is he going to die? Uh, and then everything with the whale. Like, everything about that movie is terrifying. And I think it's funny because if I'm remembering right, I don't know the history of Pinocchio. But based on the story, and especially Guillermo del Toro's version of it, um, it is a cautionary tale for kids. It's a story about... Um, telling the truth about not lying, and it's also a story in a sense about listening to your elders. And obviously as a kid, that's very hard to do. You're your own person, and that's also the beauty of the movie, right? You know, he wants to be his own person. But what I loved about this is just the gear, the del Toro of it all in terms of just some of the crazy creatures that you see in here, the whole story behind how Pinocchio is created and brought to life. But then not only that, there are musical numbers in here. There's a, uh, a Golden Globe song, uh, Golden Globe nominated for Chow Papa, which was uh, a very moving song in here. There are a couple of other songs that also moved me. I, this is a very emotional movie, but it, it does so in such a way that and especially for uh, the child who plays Pinocchio or voices Pinocchio, there's just such a whimsy to him and an innocence to him. And then to have Ewan McGregor playing uh, Geppetto, or not Geppetto, but um, Jiminy Cricket. He's just called, I think he's just called Cricket, I don't remember. But it was really cool too. Uh, there are multiple points in the movie, again, if you're like me and you haven't seen the cartoon in a while, uh, where I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Like, oh, this is the part where this happened or this happened and you could see how del toro's version is leaning more into again what i'm thinking is the actual fairy tale versus the disney version of it which is a lot less um uh, adult and and this is a, this is adult in a sense because this movie uh really deals with death a lot of it and it's a very sad story in that sense, but those are in turn, you know, those are the best ones to see sometimes. And you can see it at home, so you don't have to go see it in theaters. But like I said, again, as a guy who loves time, uh, there's a really interesting beat in here about time. And, and I don't remember if this is from the Disney movie, uh, but for those of you familiar with the fairy tale, so every time Pinocchio is destroyed, um, you know, or quote unquote dies, he basically goes to limbo. And uh, he has to wait a, spe a specified amount of time based on like an hourglass. And the giant like celestial being that's there who's voiced by Tilda Swinton, 
Uh, this actually has a very all-star cast. You got Tilda Swinton. Um, there's characters here who you you don't even. It's crazy to me. Kate Blanchett is in this film. So not only Kate Blanchett's technically nominated for two Oscars this year for her performance in Tar and then her performance in a sense in here, but she plays a monkey that's in here who doesn't do anything except talk like a monkey. So I don't it's it's insane to me that I'm sure Del Toro contacted these people and they're like, Oh, we just want to work with you. David Bradley, um, the uh groundskeeper not groundskeeper, but Filch from Harry Potter, he plays Geppetto. Uh, and then Burn Gorman is in it. Ron Perlman, of course, right? And Ron Never Say No Perlman. John Turturro, Finn Wolfhard, Christoph Waltz, Tim Blake Nelson, Tom Kenny from SpongeBob. Uh, he plays Mussolini, uh, which is awesome. I, Ron Perlman was hilarious in this because he plays like a uh, sort of, uh, not, not a communist, but this is like the birth of, of the Nazis in uh, Italy is kind of what it's around and so he loves he hates pinocchio at the beginning but then once he finds out pinocchio can't really die uh which again not not a spoiler but he's he's like oh you know this guy would be perfect for the army so again very adult themes that they talk about um and just you know no question as to why this film was nominated both for a golden globe and an oscar and honestly i wouldn't be surprised if this is the winner of that category because this just so much work and love has been put into this film and i giggled back in the day i was like oh look at del toro releasing something out on netflix guy knows what he's doing so hats off to him in regards to that um next one speaking of Kate blanchett was tar so tar came out uh, on peacock i believe that was last week uh may have been a week two weeks ago uh, but that's a long movie it was two hours and 38 minutes long um, it's about a uh, lady named Lydia Tarr, who is a conductor for Phil Philharmonic Orchestra and uh, apparently one of the greatest conductors of all time. It's all fiction, which I really liked because it's films like these that make me feel kind of uh, dumb where I'm like, man, I don't know anything that they're talking about. You know, talking about certain famous conductors, you know, they'll throw in a, uh, a Beethoven here, or there, a Bach. And I'm like, okay, I, you know, that's familiar. But then when she's really getting into conversations with people about either music or whatnot, I'm just always like, oh, I feel... But then I'm like, okay, this makes me feel better that none of this is actually real. I mean, I'm sure the things they're referencing are, but the story itself, you do not need to have any musical experience to enjoy this movie. And it was a good movie. I did enjoy it. Um, totally understand why she got nominated for an Oscar for this film. Um, just, I, uh, I wouldn't put it, any of these movies I've watched, again, you know, some of these I've given eights out of tens, but I still wouldn't have included, I don't think, any of these in the top in my top 10 for the year for last year too which is a sort of a good feeling in my eyes because sometimes at the end of the year i have this rush to um to watch as many movies as i can that have come out in the year to make sure my list is true and authentic uh, but we just you know you gotta understand time gets in the way life gets in the way and you can't do that and i'm glad that i chose the right movies to watch but um if you have a subscription to peacock i would highly recommend watching this movie especially if you're trying to keep up with the oscars conversation as well or to try and guess what winners are on here um for the amount of nominations this movie got that part doesn't make sense to me uh, there are plenty of other films and i'm going to probably harp on you know the woman king multiple times that could have taken the place of some of these nominations. Um, I still think Kate Blanchett definitely deserved an Oscar nomination. To me, this reminds me, uh, this feels a lot like the next movie that we're going to talk about, 
um, which is The Whale, in terms of great movie, but really feels more like a let's highlight the actors in the film versus this film itself being so great. Um, but again, you know that's just my opinion. If you're a huge music nut, you're probably going to love this movie and uh, enjoy it a lot more than me. But it's interesting because the, the conversation in this film uh, centers around uh, her having uh, basically some lewd relationships, all of which we don't see for the most part um, hinted at in her past. It's a very, uh, it kind of, uh, you know, turn on its head Me Too movement. Um, so, you know, Lydia Tarr, I guess, has, you know, in the past has been attracted to younger soloists and, and celloists and things like that and given them special treatment. And so there's a through line in the movie that kind of goes through that. And so by the end of it, she's kind of getting to this place where um, accusations are starting to come out and, and things like that. And I will say, I, I think the biggest compliment that I can give this movie is how all of it is just, that is what the movie is. And I, I don't know if that's, I mean, I'm sure it's a piece of obviously the directing and the script, but at the same time, like as you're watching it, because I, you know, I've gotten to this point seeing so many movies where, you know, a little snippet of something someone says in a scene, I'm like, oh, that's gonna, that's gonna come back. That like, that's gonna be a piece that comes back. But it always comes back as like a, oh, by the way, you missed this in the beginning of the movie. Here it is again, right? Like a flashback or something. That does not happen in this film. Uh, there are constant little nuggets, and there will be things as you're watching it going, ooh, that I think that might be something, and it isn't. But none of it is treated like a lesson in that sense. So there's things that she does or things that she says or little snippets of an article that is just, you know, crosses the screen for a minute or something on her phone that you see very briefly. And all of those things build up to the ending. None of it is like, a, oh, remember this? It's just this, it's almost like a snowball effect. And in that sense, I really thought it was really cool. Uh, and it made it to where you like, you have to pay attention, but at the same time, you can't help but pay attention because the movie is very... Uh, I don't know if the word lucid, but like as you're going through it, it feels like you're inside her head. Things are very hectic all the time. And so you just can't help but kind of be along for the ride. And it's again, it's like kind of watching a car crash, right? You know it's coming, uh, but you just can't turn away. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So so yeah, I like I said, I'd recommend it if you've got the time. Um, if not, don't worry about it. I mean, there's nothing in it that... Uh, you know, you're not missing anything if you don't see it, but I think you'll certainly have a, a maybe even a little more appreciation for conductors even um, during the uh, <clears throat> during the movie. So there's that. Uh, actually, the whale. We'll, we'll wait on that. The next one I saw is another animated movie uh, that was nominated called The Sea Beast, uh, which I didn't. I, you know, we heard I heard nothing about this movie. Uh, it's also on Netflix, uh, and this one I didn't enjoy as much as the other ones. I, you know, the, there's a lot of animated movies that come out throughout the year, and it, it literally in my head just popped in uh, Abominable. If you've ever, if anyone's ever seen that movie, um, Chloe Bennett is in that movie. That's why I remember it because I love Chloe Bennett. But um, I just remember being like, okay, like that movie was in theaters, but. It was one of those ones where when it came out, it was like, why, like, why are we making this movie? Like, I feel, I feel like there are certain animated movies like Del Toro's Pinocchio where it's like, this is clear cut. I, I totally get it. Like he wanted to adapt this. This seems like something he's been wanting to work on for a long time. Uh, or something like, you know, Disney, right? With Turning Red, for example. Um, brand new film exploring, uh, you know, a story that we haven't seen before. The animation is all there. 
this Sea Beast movie just really felt like that um, bargain bin type movie. Now, the animation was gorgeous, uh, and I love my, my creepy creatures, right? My creature features, and this was a creature feature film, but at the same time, I can kind of see why it got nominated, only in the sense that the animation is gorgeous. So um, if you're looking for a good, really good animated story, it's there. The characters are really cool. It was very easy to connect with. I loved the young heroine who uh, is kind of the lead of the film. But the story itself was absolutely cookie-cutter story. I mean, you can see what's coming by the end of it from the very beginning. For a kid, that's probably really great, especially if you have kids. Put this movie on, maybe watch it in the background. That's kind of what I did. Um, but sometimes, you know, there's those certain movies you watch in the background and something catches your eye and you're like, oh, okay, I need to pay attention. Never really happened with this movie. And I, <clears throat> like I said, the the big monster uh, was really cool. And there's some, some really good messages again about, you know, oh, we fear what we don't understand. And, you know, all we need is a little bit of understanding to understand people, uh, which is, again, something we've seen over and over again. So... In terms of the animated movies, uh, nominations, this would probably be the one I would put the lowest of all of the others. And now the only ones I have left to see out of them are Puss in Boots, which I've heard really good things on. Um, you know, frequent guest, my brother, Stevie, uh, he saw it and said it was awesome, uh, which is high praise for uh, from him. And, uh, and then also Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Uh, and I don't know if I'll be able to see those. I'm going to try to. Again, we still have a whole month, uh, which is great. Uh, but I wanted to knock out as much as I could because I just know, again, life gets in the way. So whenever I get a little minute, um, I try to watch some of these. So um, the last one is, uh, and you know, maybe I'll talk about this other one too. This one I watched, uh, another really long movie, two hours and 39 minutes. Um, directed by uh, one of the best directors out there, Alejandro Iñárritu, uh, who did The Revenant. He did Birdman. I think he did Amores Perros as well. Um, and Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Uh, I, want, I checked this one out because it's also on Netflix, so it was free to watch. Uh, but this was just nominated for its Best Cinematography. And so I, for a second thought that this was because i saw roger deakins got nominated uh him and him and chivo are like hand in hand in some of the greatest cinematographers neither of them did this and inuritu usually works with chivo uh and I, maybe he did deakins once but uh regardless from the minute this movie started i was like oh i know why this got nominated the cinematography is absolutely beautiful um, the whole opening scene is is like a, a kind of wide shot, tracking shot through the desert. And it, all you see is a shadow of a person on, on the ground, slowly like jumping, getting to the point of flying. Um, just a lot of, you know, I've seen enough of his movies now where I can kind of see what his his style is. And this is, a, this is totally an Inurito movie. But at the same time, there wasn't really much of it that kind of moved me beyond things that were more shocking to me. And you'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about if you watch it. There's some stuff in there um, around like a, a, a pregnancy that went bad at the last minute. And, um, you know, that you don't really know about as until the movie kind of goes along. But just there's some choices that are made in that sense where I was like, okay, this is a little, um, not I guess kind of gross, but... Uh, it makes sense for the film, but the whole story is about this guy. He's a, he's a journalist who was a documentarian who uh, left uh, Mexico and uh, is kind of coming back. It's like a homecoming, and so the movie is kind of about his memories of the past, uh, kind of what's going on in the current day, and I will say there's a twist at the end. 
Um, but again, it's one of those twists that uh, you'd be like, kind of one of the the face palm type twists of like, okay, that's fine. And so again, if you can if you can power through two hours and thirty nine minutes on here, congratulations. Um, you do not. It is not required viewing, though, I would say. And I, from his his library of films, I would probably put this towards the bottom as well. I think he's done some better ones. Um, but again, not to say it's a bad film. It just wasn't really um, something in my bag. The last one, though, that I will speak on uh, is a movie I, I saw two days ago, and I'm so glad that I did. Um, last movie I got to see in theaters we talked about was uh, Avatar. And since then, I have not been to the movies, and I'm paying for this AMC A-list, and I keep feeling bad that I just never have the opportunity. You know, sometimes these show times are terrible. Like, oh, I'd love to go see The Fablemans. Oh, it's at 8 p.m., and that movie's two and a half hours long. So I got the perfect showtime in the perfect theater with no one else in the theater for Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, starring Brendan Fraser, uh, Sadie Sink, and Hong Chow. Uh, Hong and Brendan both nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, and then the film being nominated for Makeup and Hairstyling for, obviously, uh, Brendan Fraser's turn as, um, I thought, The Whale. I had assumed that that's what they uh, they were calling it for the film, but uh, it is much deeper than that. There is a a piece of this movie that I don't think is ever going to leave me just because of my relationship with Brendan Fraser, uh, and just, you know, what I've learned from him over the years. For those of you, I know I've talked about it in the past. I grew up on Georgia the Jungle. That was a VHS tape that we ran through. Uh, but then also, as time went on, I got obsessed with uh, the Mummy movies. And then all of a sudden, I just didn't see him much anymore. And it was funny because I was watching, uh, if you go on his IMDb, there's actually a video kind of going through his legacy of stuff. And he's actually been doing a lot of things. But for those of you that are familiar or not, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but the president of the Hollywood Foreign Press, uh, who does the Golden Globes, groped him, and uh, he spoke out about it, said he was not comfortable. They came back and said that, oh, it was meant to be a joke, which is funny because even saying that out loud in 2023 is like, no one would ever say that, I don't think, at this point. They would just immediately fire the person, which I think maybe he did. There's a different president now. Um, but he was blacklisted for a really long time. And so a lot of people are saying that this is the um, the renaissance of Brendan Fraser. Uh, and I'd like to say, as I've probably said before, uh, just like uh, unbearable weight of massive talent, he's never left. He's always been around. He's been doing stuff. He was in Doom Patrol. He's been doing some TV things. Um, but give this man the Oscar is all I got to say. I keep seeing on uh, on sites trying to predict who's going to win and keep going with Colin Farrell. And we talked about Banshees on a prior episode. Colin's fine. I love Colin Farrell. He's one of my faves. He does not give a performance I don't think that's worthy of being put in the uh, in Oscars. And again, I'm glad he got nominated. Don't get me wrong. Again, glad for all of that. But if he, if he or anyone else in that category beats out Brendan Fraser, I'm going to be very, very upset because this is one of the most moving performances I've ever seen in my life um, to the point where this movie is sad, this movie is depressing, but I left feeling really good and just <sighs> he captured so much that I think people misunderstand about um, kind of the situation that he gets himself in. And so 
Um, you know, the little note here on uh, on IMDb says a reclusive, morbidly obese English teacher attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter. That's only like half of the story, um, and a lot of it kind of plays out. But all I will say is that um, someone that he loved um, lost their life, took their life um, due to circumstances that are all too familiar for so many people out there. And it really affected him and got him to the point where he just started overeating. And, you know, as time goes on and no one really cares to check on him, it spirals out of control. And the only reason that he's going to reconnect with his estranged daughter is because he he's like the dog that knows he's about to die. And this movie takes place over the span of a week. At the very beginning of the movie, they talk about him probably only having a week to live. And so as the days go by, you just get this dread in your stomach as you learn more about him, learn more about what happened to him, and really wish that he that he would get better. And it's such it's one of those movies that really holds a mirror up to all of us, I think, because uh, obesity is something that I think so many people struggle with all over the world, especially in our country. And it is something that's looked on with so much disdain by so many people. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've you've probably heard of like, oh, you know, you're overweight. Why don't you just go exercise? Why don't you just go to the gym? Why don't you just stop eating? And uh, it's so easy to say those things. And in my head, I was saying those things in the movie and saying, I want, like, I wonder if if someone's going to mention this right as he binges on something. And I'm like, oh man, buddy, don't like, don't do it. But you have no idea what those people are going through. And as his story unfolds, you're saying to yourself, no, I get it. I get why he's acting the way that he's acting. But damn it, if I like, if I couldn't just be there to help him or for someone to have been there to help him because by the end of it, you're, and I'm getting emotional, but by the end of it, it's like you don't, you don't want him to be in that place and you just wish that things had been different and people would have been kinder to him, kinder to the, to the person that he loved. Uh, but then you also learn about other things that aren't so good about him. And so uh, it's just one of the most uh, all-around good um, performances by a person, right? A lot of performances tend to be one-dimensional. And this is one of those ones where not only do you, you feel upset at him, you get mad at him, uh, you feel bad for him, you want, you feel happy for him. Like, it all takes place in his apartment because he can't go anywhere. And if you're wondering, do we get to see the full-on, you know, his whole body? Yeah, you do. And it's it's insane. But at the same time, there's just, there's some pieces about it, like I said. I mean, I, I cried a couple of times in the movie. Um, just seeing the way, like, I, I specifically remember there's a scene with Hong Chow at the very, very beginning of the movie that got me a, a tear or two to come out. And I was like, oh, now I know why that she got nominated. And then obviously, you know, through the whole film. And then also Sadie Sink as his daughter. Holy cow. Uh, the fortitude that she must have had to act the way that she does in the film is just, I, I got to tip my hat to her because I hated her in this movie. Um, I can't believe some of the things she said. Uh, but at the same time, it was very warranted based on the relationship that she thinks she has with her dad or that the person that she thinks her dad is um yeah i just like i said this is one of those ones too where i think darren aronofsky himself said this movie's not coming to streaming it's only going to be in theaters and so like i said I, I wanted to get it in because i just i love brendan fraser and and to see the accolades that he has gotten for this award or for this movie 
I wanted to know that it was deserved, and it is. It's beyond deserved. I mean, this is this is career highlights. This is this is a, a really good year for people living their best life. And the irony of saying that for a person who is literally literally living their worst life um, is just it's phenomenal to watch. So I hope I hope I've given enough praise for that movie. Like I said, um, you know, is it a knockout movie at the end of the day? It wouldn't have made my top ten list, but it's right. It would have definitely been an honorable mention, that's for sure. Because uh, I just I thought maybe I was going to be kind of off putted by off putting. It would have been off putting while I was in it. Um, again, just because it's one of those very tough conversations that you're having when you're watching it on screen, watching somebody destroy their life on screen. Um, but no, I was uh, I was transformed while I was watching it. So if you have the ability to go see this in theaters, do it. Um, if you're also waiting for it to come streaming, I can't tell you where because it's an A24 movie, so um, I don't know where. My guess would be probably either Amazon, maybe, or um, maybe HBO, um, but I would just try and rent it as soon as you can, especially if you're a fan of Brendan Fraser. Uh, but so that wraps it up. So all I have left, if I again, if, if uh, I'm, I'm at the wall by the time uh, the Oscars come, I need to see The Fablemans and I need to see Triangle of Sadness and Women Talking. Those are the three Best Picture nominees that I still have yet to see. And as the days go on, the more I want to see The Fablemans just because uh, I know that's going to be a feel-good movie and I need, I, I'm going to need it after The after the Whale. So the second piece I wanted to talk about is the often undiscussed short films that come out uh, in these nominations. And so we talked about them. Uh, there's a lot of them. But the good news is I was actually able to find a bunch of them that are able to be streamed. There's some that still can't or that they're they're only going to be, I don't even know where they're going to be released. But some of them are on uh, Disney, Netflix, and also on the internet, uh, all for free. So uh, these are, honestly, this is one of my new favorite things because I did this last year. There was a couple of shorts I was able to watch before the Oscars that were streaming somewhere. Um, and to me, this is one of the, the greatest pieces about streaming, right? Is that you're, um, it gives you the ability to see things you wouldn't have been able to see otherwise. I would have never even thought of watching the shorts five years ago because uh, I didn't even know where to find them. And now half of these shorts are things that the uh, streaming services are making. So the first one is called Le Pupil. Uh, or The Pupils, uh, which is on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it is uh, 37 minutes long, so it's probably more like 34 minutes long, something like that. Uh, follows the rebellious girls of a Catholic boarding school before Christmas, a time of war and scarcity. Uh, the movie, uh, the movie was dubbed for me, and I didn't, I didn't switch it to a different language. I'm assuming it would have been in Italian, which would have probably been pretty cool. Uh, but I wasn't a huge fan of this short. It was. Uh, just your classic nuns being nuns towards young girls. Uh, there's a really cute scene where they're all dancing and singing to a song on the radio. Uh, and this, again, takes place in um, this also, funny enough, from Pinocchio. This takes place during that same time period of World War II. And so uh, the nuns come in and wash all of the girls' mouths out with soap because the words that they were saying uh, were in quote-unquote inappropriate. It was a love song. Uh, and the one girl who's the main girl was like, but I didn't sing. And she and the, the nun looks at her and says, but don't you, do you know the words to the song? And she's like, you know, she's like thinking about it. And she's like, what are they? And she says a couple of them. She goes, it doesn't matter if you say it. It's about what you're thinking. Like, ooh, God knows what you're thinking. 
And so she watched, like, that's, the whole story is about this one girl who's kind of an outcast in the group because she disobeys the nuns. Uh, and then there's a bit with a cake, but like I said, after I watched it, uh, nothing in my life changed one way or the other. I mean, the movie didn't get me emotional, nothing. Again, it's a short, but at the same time, some of these other shorts did. So, um, I saw again, some people picking this as the one that's the winner. I really hope not. Um, there's some other really great short live action shorts that are on here. So, um, we'll dive into them because the next two are on Netflix. Um, the next first one is the Martha Mitchell effect. This was really cool. Uh, 40 minutes and uh, the cabinet wife who spoke out during Watergate and the Nixon administration's campaign to gaslight her into silence. So it's essentially like a, uh, and this was one of the best documentary shorts. So about this idea, and I guess she ended up becoming a term in the book, uh, the psych book called The Martha Mitchell Effect, which is where you say something, uh, you Basically, you are preaching a truth. In this case, she was calling out what Richard Nixon was doing during Watergate, and then everyone else calls you crazy, including her husband, but then eventually it turns out that she was right. That is the Martha Mitchell effect, and it is one of the most frustrating things in the world because I imagine so many people have to deal with that sort of thing, but it was cool. From a, I'm a huge politics guy, so it was really cool to see some old-timey politics. Uh, you get to hear a lot of recordings from Richard Nixon as well. Uh, apparently, he talked about Martha Mitchell all the time, um, which is just crazy. So uh, I would really recommend checking that one out. Uh, it's just, it was, that was a fun one. The Elephant Whisperers, another documentary short, uh, and I think this was also the picked favorite for documentary short, which again, I would have picked something else, but uh, this is Bauman and Bell, a couple in South India, devote their lives to caring for an orphaned baby elephant named Ragu, forging a family like no other that tests the barrier between the human and animal world. Look, is this one cute? Yes, it's very cute. And it was really cool to see them caring for this elephant. Um, but that's basically all this is. It's 40 minutes long. It's just about them caring for the elephant, which is really sweet. Um, and again, cool for a documentary. Absolutely. Um, doesn't need to be the winner. Eh, I don't know. I haven't seen all the documentaries, but like I said, um, some of these other ones I did like a little more, but any time that we can get, and this is why I love these shorts, right? It's only 40 minutes. It's like watching one episode of television, but you're learning something new about the world. Uh, that's why I've always been a fan of documentaries because of that. So those are the ones I watched kind of in one sitting. And then I found some more and these ones are all online. Um, and this one's actually awesome. So there's two two different places. So if you Google, uh, and I guess be careful <laughs> where you're Googling, uh, if you Google My Year of Dicks, uh, this will come up, and it is, uh, it's free to watch right now. So the, 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 there's a website for the person who created this, uh, the director, Sarah uh, Gunner's daughter. And um, uh, it's, this is uh, 24 minutes really cool animation. Um, this was awesome. I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was really good. Um, just in terms of a story, it's just, it's just a story about a, a girl in high school who's trying to lose her virginity. So um, not as crazy. And I almost think the title is a play on words because it's kind of about all these kind of dickish dudes that, um, that she's kind of either sort of attracted to or just, you know, it's the classic story. So it'd be the same as, I think, was it called The List? The one with Aubrey Plaza? 
Um, it kind of reminded me of that. But like I said, you know, come come for that. But you're gonna stay. You're gonna stay for the animation because the animation is really really good. It's actually by the same person who did the animation in uh, was it not the Duff? Uh, it actually might have been the Duff. The it was a the movie where, um, gosh, she uh, there's like an animated sequence. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Diary of a Teenage Girl. If any of you have seen that movie, there's a sequence in that movie where there's animation. And this per Sarah, she's the one who does the animation in that movie. So um, that was cool to see. So that's one. Again, you can watch that for free. This next set, though, so if you're saying, oh, I really want to knock this stuff out, five shorts can all be found on the New Yorker's website. So, um, and I got kind of you know, sneakily, I guess you could say, if you just Google... Um, shorts, I, I think shorts in the New Yorker, <clears throat> it will pull up, there's an article that is on the New Yorker that has all of them in there. It's like an article about the shorts, but much like many articles, you know how there's like videos in between, so there's like ad space. Each of those sections is the actual short. So they're all just in one article that you can press play on. Because I went and clicked on the first one, just, you know, they've got links to them as well. They have their own separate web pages for each of them. Um, apparently, this is something that the New Yorker does every year. They do a bunch of animated and non animated live action documentary shorts, all these shorts throughout the year. Uh, but as I clicked on one of the links, it said you have now used up your maximum amount of links. Uh, you know, you need to subscribe to the New Yorker. But then I went back to the main site. I still had access to it. And you can literally just press play on all of the videos within the article and watch them all. So that's really cool, especially if you're trying to see which one you might think would be the winner. Uh, and here's what I would pick. This was my favorite of all of the ones I've watched so far. Stranger at the Gate. Uh, and here's why. Because this is literally, this is the cool, it just was awesome. And this is uh, 30 minutes. A U.S. Marine plots a terrorist attack on a small town American mosque. His plan takes an unexpected turn when he comes face to face with the people he sets out to kill. Uh, this is a real documentary uh, with interviews of the guy who was going to do this and the people that were he was going to do it to. And uh, it's an older guy, uh, but and it says it in the article, so it's not, I mean, it's a short, it's not a spoiler, but literally he, uh, and this was in, in uh, Muncie, Indiana for my Parks and Rec fans out there. This happened in Muncie. This is a real thing. He uh, was a Marine for a very long time. This was kind of after 9-11 and he just couldn't take it anymore. And he just, he thought that Muslims were kind of taking over his community. It's, it's the classic reaction to after 9-11 basically. And so he plots to bomb a mosque. Uh, and so, but he, he has a daughter and he's, he's like explaining this. He goes, but, and I loved this because this is what saved his life. Um, but he said, I needed my daughter to know, like he said, I needed proof of what these people were doing so that I could look my daughter in the eye when I told her why I did it. You know what I mean? Like that he, he actually in his messed up mind had a reason. So he went to the mosque. Think of it like doing research. And he said it just it, it it they basically turned him into a believer, which is the just mind blowing. They basically just they treated him like a human being when he showed up, and they were they were kind to him. He's like the guy you know he walked in and the guy gave him a hug and said welcome, and he's like you know basically everything that he's learned was wrong, and that you know he was trained in the military to treat these Muslims and the people that he was killing 
like uh, targets. And he said, you have to do that because then you're going to go crazy if you treat them as human beings. And so he ends up converting to Islam. Uh, and it is the just it was so heartwarming to see that. And, and the lady who's like the, the linchpin at the mosque was basically explaining. and I loved her explanation of this. She said, everybody deserves our love. Everybody deserves our kindness. But it's the people like this. And eventually, you know, they ended up becoming good friends. He ended up becoming the president of the mosque. Uh, but she said people like this with misunderstanding, with hate in their hearts, they deserve kindness the most. And I just thought that that was so powerful. All in the span of 30 minutes. So, again, you're looking for something that's kind of a whole, like a feel, like a very scary but ends in a feel-good manner. Stranger at the Gate. Check that one out. Next up is Haul Out which uh, is 25 minutes documentary short as well, follows a man waiting in his hut in the desolate expanse of the Russian Arctic. And he's holding out in order to observe a natural event that occurs here every year, but the ocean is warming and taking his toll. That event is all of the walruses coming onto land. And the reason they're coming onto land is because due to climate change, there's less ice in the ocean for them to sit on. And I got to tell you, if we're talking about cinematography, I would have given it to this because... There are shots of the amount of walry, I don't know if that's the right way to say walruses, but of them sitting on the land that is just, will take your breath away. And there's also bits of it that are very, very sad. Um, but this one was, again, I thought was really good. Uh, didn't hit me as much a Stranger at the Gate, but it's still, I'm, I'm glad to have learned a little bit about that. It's, it was just, my eyes could not comprehend how many walry were on that screen. Um, next up are, I'll do one more. So this is another, this is an animated short. So this one is not a documentary. Fiction called Night Ride. Uh, and I think this was German. Um, but this one was 15 minutes, super short. Uh, honestly, kind of cute, uh, but also kind of sad in a sense. There's uh, a, a lady who uh, needs to get on the tram to ride the tram and the tram driver uh, gets out to go to the bathroom and is like, you know, we'll do it later. She's like, but I need to go. And so he leaves and she takes the tram. <laughs> and so she's like driving the tram and picking people up along the way. And it turns out, you know, one person who gets picked up is a, um, it's a guy wearing a wig pretending to be a girl. And he's hitting on this other guy who uh, starts, him and his friends start to try and, and kind of harass and accost this guy who, um, Basically, and, and again, I don't think that they don't give anything was, you know, whether they were trans or anything like that. But just this idea, again, that those people get just the brunt of people's hates and it sucks. And this lady who's driving the tram also, she is um, she's a, a smaller person and she kind of teams up with them and kind of saves saves her, saves him in that sense is it's just it's an interesting one. It's cute. Uh, very short, doesn't take a lot of time, but uh, by the end of it, it was kind of funny because <laughs> what happens by the end was just, it was cool. Um, the other two uh, are animated shorts, and so they are Ice Merchants, which was 14 minutes long, super short. Every day, a father and his son jump with a parachute from their vertiginous cold house attached to a cliff to go to the village on the ground far away where they sell the ice that they produce daily. Um terms of a story there isn't really that much of one but the animation in this was absolutely beautiful uh and really cool to watch especially in those free fall scenes where him and his little son papoost on his chest 
are uh, skydiving basically from the top of this mountain down into the town to sell their ice. Um, again, super short, nothing crazy about it, but it was it was cool to watch. And then the other one was the Flying Sailor, which is even shorter at only eight minutes. Um, inspired by true events, the highly anticipated film uh, is a meditation on a sailor's unexpected voyage. And I'll say this one was wild. This is basically about I think a town gets exploded by cannon fire or something like that. And uh, he just ends up flying through the sky <laughs> into the ocean, I think, to die. Um, but just the, the again, these, these are being nominated because of their animation. And the animation in this was really cool, too. So I, not much to say because it's only eight minutes long. But check it out. Like I said, they're all in the New Yorker. There are other ones that are out, uh, but they haven't come to any streaming services or anything like that. So... Um, so that's kind of it. So that wraps it up. Um, I'm hoping to have some more things watched by um, by the time the Oscars come out, but I wanted to provide some insights on those so that those of you out there that were curious could find maybe a couple of other things to add to your watch list. So that is going to do it for us here at Comics and Cinema. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the movies. <laughs>